Hello, all. So I've said this before. I have said that I want to stop following parenting influencers, or at least the majority, the majority of parenting advice influencers, because I think that what they're serving me is a lot of bullshit and pseudoscience. But what do I know? I'm not an expert on anything, nothing. So I thought that I would call in an expert to see if I'm right, if calling bullshit on a lot of these accounts that are telling me things like, timeouts are bad, screen time is going to rot their brain, you should never yell at them, you should never really do anything that remotely involves parenting your children. Am I wrong? Am I the one that's wrong here? If I am, I would love someone to tell me. So today I'm bringing in an expert. I am Dr. Kara Goodwin. I am a child psychologist and a mother to four. And I started a nonprofit organization a few years ago called Parenting Translator um, with the goal of taking all the research that's out there on parenting and child development and translating it for parents. Um, I started doing that because when I became a parent myself, I realized that, you know, through my training, I'd learned all of this research and it just, it, I would talk to my mom friends and say, oh, well, you know about this study. And they would have no idea what I was talking about. And I realized we have this huge problem where we have all this research, but it's not actually reaching the people who need it. Right, right. And I love that. Um, I I really like your account, Parenting Translator. I I hold you up there with people like Emily Oster, who we're having on the show in, actually, I'm talking to her next week. Oh, great. Who, who take research and data and just, I mean, as your account says, translate it for moms, but without a lot of the judgment that I see in a lot of yes. other parenting advice accounts, which I just, my biggest issue with them is I feel like they're just giving me another job. On, t <laughs> on top of being my child's mom, it's less advice and so much more judgment and almost marching orders yes. at this point. Yes. Well, I think, you know, anybody who actually has really delved into the parenting research knows that, first of all, the research is really limited. Like, we don't have the most high-quality research on parenting because it's, you can't randomly assign people to make different parenting decisions. So most of the research we have is limited. And most of it doesn't give clear marching orders, like you said. So Anybody who's delved into this research knows that saying like these broad statements that I see on social media, like timeout is going to harm your child's brain. It's like we don't have a single research study showing that, um, you know, we can't you can't make broad statements like that because we don't really know. Right. And but that, you know what? I see those all the time. I see timeout will harm your child's brain will. And it, they go so far. They go so far into my child's future, too, they say things like, this will cause them to have attachment issues for the yes. rest of their life. They, they will never, ever find a romantic partner. They will, they will fail in the workplace. Exactly. It's intense, man. But yeah. there's no research to back any of this up, right? Right. There, there is a lot of general statements that you'll see on social media. You know, like the timeout one is an example. I saw one this morning about um, how screen time will, you know, again, I feel like there's always, they're always bringing in brain development. So 
w- mm-hmm. will ruin your child's brain development. And, you know, we have no evidence on that either. Um, so I think when you see these broad statements and, you know, this always and harming and and projecting into the future, that's when like your radar should go up and be like, wait, is this accurate? Uh, and most of the time, I would say it isn't. Because because a lot of the research isn't there. Before we dive into some of the more frequent things that I see from parenting advice influencers, I want to talk about the many, many reasons the research isn't there. And there, you know, as we mentioned before, there's a lot of a lot of reasons. It's a hard thing to study, first yes. of all. Um, but also it's a thing that for so long only concerned women. And I think yes. that the academic establishment just wasn't interested in that. Yes, that is so true. I saw um, a stand-up performance from Amy Schumer where she was talking about something related to pregnancy. And she was like, well, there's no research on this because it only happens to women. And it's so true. You it's know, it's so like true. There, it, for so long, parenting has been seen, you know, in the academic world as, I, I, you know, it sounds kind of harsh to say this, but like a field that's not as respected as you know, cancer research or, you know, some of these more medical fields, um, it's kind of seemed like a soft science. Whereas, you know, there's so little research on some of the parenting struggles that we have every day. Like there's not a single research study on the best potty training method or or not a a really high quality study, I should say. Um, And that's something we all deal with. Like, why don't we know the best method to potty train? But we do know why men can't get erections. Yes. And we do. <laughs> and we do have drugs for that. We yes. do. We do. Yeah. Sci- science really swooped right in. Swooped so, right in and took, yeah. took care of that problem for exactly. them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But potty training, you know, we're left in the dark. Exactly. exactly. Which, is, which is crazy. And it's so, I was actually interviewing someone on the show yesterday, a reporter who covers influencers. And she was talking about potty training because we always go off on the tangents. And I'm like, you know, now that I've hit third baby, I'm like, I just plop them on the potty with some screen time. And when they poop, I give them an M&M. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I mean, all of the thing is, all of the things the parenting influencers, the parenting advice influencers say not to do are yes. things that I do. So yeah. I, my kids got a timeout. But also, like, if they knew what flipping me off was, that's what they do. When I put them in timeout, because they essentially just look at me like, uh-huh, whatever, I'll see you yeah. in five. Or I give them so much screen time to the extent that I'm like, okay, TV screens are good, YouTube bad. Like, and But my kids yeah. are like real smart. They're smart. They're fun. They're like socially adjusted. I don't want to be told that I'm fucking it up. Yes. Yes, I always wonder when I see a lot of these gentle parenting influencers, um, do do they actually take care of their kids or, you know, do do they have just the easiest kids in the world? Because I just don't understand how these positive strategies, how they can implement these all the time. It just seems so unrealistic to me. So unrealistic. And I try, right? Like I try all of the, I talk softly. We do talk about our feelings, even though I mock this all of the time, but we do it. We totally do it. We talk things out. We have conversations. I have those little cards where you start conversations at dinner. 
I crawl into bed with each of them individually and discuss how they felt during the day. And yet, when they're like in the thick of their own shit and their own tantrums, there is no amount of gentle talk that is going to make them put on the green coat. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, again, I'm not an expert. I'm just a mom with kids. I think they mostly grow out of it. I've got a six-year-old now who's freaking awesome. Awesome. Yes. Right? And like, yes. he was a, ma- and I tell him all the time, I'm like, God, when you were four, you were the worst. He's like, oh, I know, I was the worst. <laughs> um, And, you know, now my four-year-old is really difficult. I think she's just going to grow out of it. With the first one, you're like, something is developmentally wrong. This exactly. child this exactly. is malfunctioning. Exactly. Yes. And I think that's something that the gentle parenting influencers don't make clear that you can and probably should do both, you know, these gentle parenting techniques and old school parenting techniques, for lack of a better term. You know, that's what the research really finds to be most effective. You know, we we should be talking about our feelings with our kids. We should be taking that perspective. We should be, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt and explaining them explaining to them the rationale behind our rules. But also, sometimes we do need to use consequences. Sometimes we have to set up reward systems. You know, sometimes we have to give them an M&M for going to potty. Otherwise, they would maybe never use the potty. I know if Which I didn't have is, like... Yeah, not if, good. Not yeah, good. If, if I didn't have a reward system for my kids, they would literally never get out the door for school. And not even... Like, they would still be here at my house right now. So... Um, if, if I didn't bribe my children, they wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. They wouldn't. I mean, my house is a zoo. And again, it's getting better because the six-year-old is finally getting better. But it just takes time. It just takes time. And when you have all of these parenting influencers pushing their ideas, and especially a lot of the gentle parenting, you, you do feel like you're failing. You yeah. do feel like you're failing when they don't work. And they don't work because kids be kids. That's the thing. When gentle parenting doesn't work, what I worry about is that parents, first of all, will feel like a failure and feel a lot of shame about that. And secondly, we'll start in, you know, because they don't know what to do, we'll use strategies that we know are ineffective. So banking or other sorts of physical discipline or yelling, which, you know, we all, I I think 90% of parents at least yell at our kids. I know I do. But we also know that you know, that's not effective. And um, so when parents use these actual harsh techniques instead, you know, they're not going to work and going to feel terrible about yourself. When we actually do have strategies like consequences and timeout and reward systems that do, even though, you know, the gentle parenting influencers will say those are all harmful, but we have no evidence of that. And actually a lot of evidence that they're very effective. So what I want parents to know is that if gentle, you know, if gentle parenting is working, that's wonderful. Like keep going with it. But if it's not working, that we do have some other strategies you could try that are not spanking in physical discipline or just, you know, screaming your head off. Right, right. Which is good. And those those are what I want to talk about. I want to talk about some research backed things that we can actually do as parents um, that debunk some of these myths that are constantly coming up on social media by people who are not necessarily um, uh, certified or qualified yes. to be giving us advice. Yes, exactly. But we, let's take a quick break and we'll get into it all when we get back. 
And we are back with Kara Goodwin, the parenting translator. Before we were talking about how, look, if gentle parenting is working for you, that's wonderful, but it might not. And there are things that are actually backed by research that might work. So what are some of the parenting myths that are just constantly being served on Instagram? And what is actual research that backs up, you know, what we could actually be doing? Yes. So probably the most obvious one I see out there is that timeout is harmful to your child's brain. Um, And a lot of influencers will even um, cite this one study, which I don't, I don't even know how they all like latched onto this one study, but the study actually is, uh, it's a brain imaging study that's looking at college students and how they react to being excluded while playing a video game. And how that applies to timeout, I have no idea. So the, in the study, they found that the college students who were socially excluded showed a similar pattern of brain activation as people who, when they're physically in pain. So then the influencers took that study to mean that when you're socially isolated, as in timeout, that you have a similar experience as you would if you were actually being physically abused, which is just such an unbelievable stretch of a research. Like, I've never seen such a stretch of a research finding. Um that's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. And no, I haven't seen that talked about before. And there is no, I mean, I don't see the correlation at all. No, not at all. Wow. Wow. Okay. So is there any research about timeouts in kids? So we have, you know, decades of research consistently showing that timeout is effective for improving behavior. And, you know, the gentle influence, gentle parenting influencers would say, well, I don't care if it actually works. I care about whether it's harmful or not. And we do have research showing that there's absolutely no evidence any sort of long-term harm, you know, socially, emotionally for children with timeout. So we have research. We, we have research showing no evidence of harm. Um, and there is no research showing that it has any impact in any negative way on children. And we know also that, um, you know, these research studies that have used timeout show improved parent-child relationships. And that's probably because when the child's, be, you know, parent, gentle parenting people will say, well, I don't care if the, about the child's behavior improves or not. But it does matter because as we all know, when your child's behavior is atrocious, it is really hard to have a good relationship with them. And as their behavior, you know, we've all had our kids go through stages and when their behavior is better, it's so much easier to have a good relationship with them. And the relationship is what really matters. So, um, their behavior does, it also matters for our mental health, which I feel like nobody in the gentle parenting world is even talking about the parents, but our mental health no, is important too. Totally. And you know, that's something that I think about all the time when I'm looking at a lot of parenting advice influencers who are telling me, who are shaming me mostly, yes. who are telling me I'm doing it wrong, who are being very judgy. I It's... Yes, the mother's mental health is never considered. Um, yes. The, you know, just ability to make our household a pleasant place yeah. is never considered. And that's why I think a lot of this is so dangerous, because it is also very true that if a mother cannot function, the household is not going to run. Exactly. 
And so we have to take we have to take care of ourselves. Like that has to be a priority. And so many parenting advice influencers do not make that a priority. They say, oh, no, it's they, they do the opposite of the, what I think is very good advice. It's put the oxygen mask and put the put the oxygen mask on someone else first. Yes. Instead of putting it on yourself first. Yes, exactly. I think a lot of the gentle parenting influencers act like we as parents should be these people that are just perfect co-regulators, that are completely devoid of any emotions, any things that we have to do, you know, any other priorities we have, any, you know, thoughts, feelings. We're just supposed to be just our child's perfect, calm co-regulators. And even if we could do that, which is completely impossible, first of all, even if we could, we are setting our children up for the most unrealistic expectation of other relationships because I can tell you none of their friends are going to do that. Their future spouse is not going to do that. Um, their, their boss, their boss yes, certainly their boss isn't going to certainly do not going to do that. Yes. No. So I I mean I talk to so many I talk to so many college professors these days who ha- who are now getting the first generation of kids who really went through a lot of this kind of parenting. Yes. And they say it is a pure dumpster fire of hell in their <laughs> classrooms. These kids do not want to get anything, do not think they deserve anything less than an A. They don't want to be critiqued or edited in their papers. And, I, you know, it's just, I, I want to raise my kids to thrive in the real world. Yes. Not in some bubble of my household where someone is constantly regulating their emotions. Yes. And you have to think that the ultimate goal here is not, for you to effectively co-regulate their emotions because you're not going to always be there. The ultimate goal is for us to teach our kids to do this without us. So if you are always there co-regulating them, they're never going to learn how to do it without you. So the goal is to take take steps back as your child is able to handle those emotions. So always being there is not even serving your kid. So what other what other Instagram myths are out there that that you that you love to debunk? Um, I saw one the other day that I laughed at um, that I saw one that said that children never enjoy misbehaving. You know, it always comes from a spot of emotional turmoil. And I was just thinking they should meet my three year old because he loves <laughs> he loves it. Mine loves it. Like she just. She just loves being bad, like loves it so much. And yeah. she gets, I can also tell that she's deriving so much joy from it. But there's also no more poorly behaved child than when another child is behaving well because she wants sure. attention. Yeah. And she's just smirking at me yeah. beneath her screams like, oh, yeah, now you're he- now you're here. Yes. And it doesn't mean, you know, I feel like I see this stuff on social media all the time that when your child misbehaves, that means there's a problem with the parent-child connection. That is not true. First of all, all children misbehave. And, you know, in extreme cases, there could be, you know, a problem with the parent-child relationship where they have no other way of getting attention. Um, But in most cases, pushing limits is just what kids do. You know, my three-year-old just this morning grabbed a candy cane off his sister's gingerbread house and like ran around laughing while she was screaming. It's like, he just thought that was funny. You know, 
he wasn't, there was no emotional turmoil going in inside. He was very happy. It, sometimes children just do these things and that's part of being a child. And it doesn't mean that there's any problem with the parent-child relationship or that you need to blame yourself in any way, that you're doing anything wrong. Exactly, exactly. Kids are just kids. Yeah. You know, they're just, and I think we need to let them be kids more. Um, I mean, I hate to keep going back to my idea of parenting the 80s because there are a lot of things my parents messed up in particular. But I do think that we were just given more space for our own exploration and psychological development and dealing with our own feelings instead of someone constantly being like, but what is it that you feel right now? Because no, that person isn't going to be there all the time. Yes. Yes. And, you know, if your child goes to school, if they spend any time away from you, like they need to be able to learn how to regulate themselves. And we, we and, you know, as we're thinking about them becoming adults, they need to more and more gain those skills or they will not be able to function as adults. Exactly. Exactly. What else? Is there anything else? That, like, I mean, I just want there's, to have you on forever and ever. There's so, there's so much. Um, another one I see all the time is that um, rewards are bad mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they decrease your child's intrinsic motivation. So most gentle parenting influencers would say even with potty training, you know, even with, you know, a lot of these typical things that we would use rewards for, um, or the average parent would use rewards for, that rewards will decrease intrinsic motivation. But what the research finds is that rewards only decrease intrinsic motivation if it is something your child is already motivated to do. So for example, if your child loves reading, they're just so into it and they are a little bookworm who's reading all the time, you don't want to reward that because it's already, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be like, okay, so every hour you read, you get a dollar because- that's something they already love. But most of the time, we aren't rewarding kids for what they're intrinsically motivated for. We're rewarding them for things that they do not want to do, like cleaning their room or getting out the door on time. Like 99% of kids are not intrinsically motivated to leave for school on time. They don't care when they leave for school. Oh, it's so funny that you mentioned the school thing, because I saw one parenting advice account yesterday that said, the reason your kid, and again, they're, they're, these statements are so declarative, right? It said the reason your kid is fighting or yelling uh, when they say they don't want to go to school, it's because they have attachment anxiety and oh they don't want to leave you. And I'm like, I know my kid. And like, maybe sometimes that's true. But most of the time, they just want to play with their toys longer. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with me. Yes. Yes, they do. They- have no motivation to get out the door at exactly 8 a.m., whereas we as adults have huge motivation. So when so research finds that when you give rewards to children for something they are not intrinsically motivated to do, it gets them to do it, first of all, which is huge. And second of all, it actually increases their intrinsic motivation to do it. So it makes them more likely to do it even when the rewards go away. So it's setting up habits for your children that will serve them in the future. So there is nothing wrong with using rewards. I would be careful about using rewards for activities that your child is already intrinsically motivated to do. But I don't see a reason why you need to use rewards for those activities because they're already doing them. 
Right, um, right. But there's nothing wrong with setting up reward systems for your kids. Well, and I, I think about it like this. You know, if people are saying, oh, if you give them a reward now, you'll have to give them a reward all the time. My two kids poop all the time now. They poop constantly in the potty and don't demand an M&M. That's a great example. Yes. I know very few like school age kids even who need an M&M every time they go to the potty. No, they sure don't. Yeah, they sure don't. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. What else? What else? Um, so another one is um, there is an idea that we talk about as psychologists and in the research called planned ignoring. Um, and this is the idea that if there are minor behaviors that, you know, like sibling fighting, whining, um, fussing, things like that, that you want to go away, it is okay to just ignore them. Um, you know, that gentle parenting influencers would say, you know, you should never ignore a child. All behavior is a bid for um, attachment. But sometimes we get into these bad cycles where we are giving more attention to the negative behaviors and the positive behaviors. So think about like, you know, your kids are in the other room playing and they're playing quietly and nice. And you're like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm going to go get some emails sent. I'm going to start dinner. And then all of a sudden they start fighting and you run in there immediately and you're like, what's going on? What happened? And we get into these patterns where we pay more attention to the negative behaviors because that's what draws us in and less attention to the positive behaviors. So what you want to do as a parent is, you know, make an effort to pay attention as much as possible to the positive behaviors and ignore some of these more minor behaviors that come up um, because that will help um, those the positive behaviors to become more frequent. Um, so our attention is such a powerful motivator for kids. So you can use that to your advantage. I love that idea. And I think it's true, too. I mean, my kids, again, I don't I don't feel like I have to hover over them, especially with, you know, the brother-sister dynamic and relationship. Hover over them with every every kerfuffle that they have. Yeah. Right. This is the time where they are learning how to interact with other human beings. And if I'm moderating that all the time, I feel like I'm not giving them that brain space to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You you want to give children the chance to work things out on their own and you don't want to be there every single time something comes up because like I said before, like you're not going to always be there. I have two more. I have two more questions for you. One of them is directly related to the holiday season. I'm seeing so much advice on what to do when your child is ungrateful about a gift. I had this happen last year. One of my kids was given a book on spiders by my mother. They had requested a book on spiders, but they didn't remember doing that. And they were a massive jerk about it. I didn't ask for this. Why would you even think about getting me this? And it was terrible. And she felt so bad. And a lot of the parenting advice influencers say that we should be managing the kid's disappointment. Whereas I, I'm no, I'm like, the kids should learn to treat other people and gifting with respect. Is there any research on this? Yes. So there is some research. So first of all, I want to say that ingratitude is completely normal for young children. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that they 
you know, their brains haven't developed the ability to take somebody else's perspective. So they're not Mm -hmm. trying to hurt the gift giver. You know, they just don't understand that, like, you know, grandma thought that was something they might be into. Um, So just knowing that it's developmentally normal in kids, I think can really help. And, you know, realize that it doesn't mean that you're raising a spoiled brat. Um, What I would say, there's a really interesting research study that looked you know, how parents respond. And they found that, you know, punishing ingratitude or, you know, giving into the demands, blaming yourself, all the things that like these negative things that we typically do in the moment of ingratitude actually doesn't really work. But what they found was effective was allowing. So when when the parents were distressed in the moment of ingratitude, that actually led, led to more gratitude. So it's okay to show your child and even tell your child that like that made you feel you know, sad or frustrated or whatever it was when they did that way, when, you know, grandma gave them a gift and they screamed about it or whatever happened. So allowing yourself to be distressed about it and making sure also that you recognize the moments they are grateful, you know, assuming showing gratitude is an important value for you making sure you are watching for those moments and pointing them out and being like, wow, that was really nice when, when you said thank you and, you know, or however you express your gratitude, making sure you praise that and notice those moments rather than focusing just on the moments they're ungrateful. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, we recently got, um, got one of them, the one that can write thank you cards with their name on it. And they just love that. Right. Because it feels so special. And so they've they've recently started initiating writing thank you cards, but mostly because they know we're excited about it and they see us write thank you cards. So it, it is a lot of modeling and and also reminding them, oh, this made me feel bad or this made grandma feel bad. And you don't want grandma to feel bad. You love grandma. I, I've also tried to say, hey, you know, gift giving is not necessarily about you. It is about the person giving you the gift and just making them feel good yep. about it. We want to make other people feel good. You know, I've seen gentle parenting influencers say you should never tell your child to say thank you. If you just model it, they will eventually catch on to that. It's not and true. <laughs> I'm going to call BS on that. Yes. It's a dirty um, lie. I think there's a chance maybe if you keep modeling eventually years and years and years down the road, maybe they will. I don't know. But if something is really important to you, there is nothing wrong with, you know, we know effective ways of teaching children skills and modeling is an effective way, but also prompting is an effective way. So reminding them to say thank you to, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, you don't have to shame them when they don't say thank you, but just reminding them to say thank you, making sure you know, you you reward it, praise, praise it when they do say thank you. If, if this is something that's in, an important value to your family, I know it is for mine, saying please and thank you. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, telling your child to say thank you. I, it, it's, it seems my, my mom, who's, you know, a parent of the 80s, always thinks it's so crazy when I tell her things like, oh, people are saying now that you shouldn't ever tell your kids to say thank you. She's like, what? She's like, that's crazy pants. That is full on crazy bananas pants, my friends. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with telling your children to say thank you, Mm -hmm. telling them to say I'm sorry, which is a whole nother topic. You know, it's okay to remind your kids because they're just little people who are just 
still figuring out what the social rules are. And there's nothing wrong with helping to teach them so that they can be more successful when they are away from you socially. And we want to set them up for success. That's exactly. The thing. That's the thing. We're going to take one more quick break here, and then we will be right back for, for, for a final question and a wrap-up. So you do debunk a lot of these influencing myths. You debunk them with research. Have you gotten pushback for that? Yes, I have gotten a lot of pushback. It's I think the putting the research out there helps it me to not get as much criticism as if I were just expressing my own personal opinion. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who will say they still think that um, you know, timeout for example, it they can't see how that's not harmful for a child. And what I say to them is if it feels harmful to you, then you are absolutely right in not choosing that for your family. Um, if it, if sleep training feels wrong to you, you are absolutely right in not using that. You know, y- it might be harmful for your child. All the research shows us is what is true for the average child. And research is limited. Like I said, it's very limited. We don't really know. So if any of these things that I've been talking about feel wrong to you and you're like, I just don't feel right about putting my child in timeout, then don't do it. There's absolutely no reason you should. There's no research showing if you don't use timeout or you don't use consequences that you're creating some sort of monster. You know, you have to pair it in the way that feels right to you. I just want to make sure that parents know that there are other research-backed strategies. Um, so if if gentle parenting is working for you, like that is so wonderful. And you should run with it and don't change anything. But if it's not working, I just really don't want parents to feel like they are failures or to feel shame about that. No, 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 no. There's there's enough. It, parenting is hard enough yeah. is the thing. Juggling all of the things that we have to juggle, all of the multitasking that we have to do. We just don't. I just don't think that any of these instructions are particularly helpful. Do you think that there should be some kind of rules and regulations about who can give this kind of advice? I mean, some some way of showing, hey, these are my certifications. I have actual education in this. I think it's getting more out of control than ever before. The coaching. Yes. yes. On, on social media, it's essentially MLMs yes. of coaching of different sorts. It's I've everything from parent coaching to executive coaching, but especially the parenting coaching. And there's no qualification. Yes. I, I, when I first got on social media, I had never even heard of a parent coach. You know, that's not something as psychologists we would ever refer parents to. And I remember looking it up and being shocked that you can call yourself a parenting coach with absolutely no qualifications. There's nothing you have to do. You can just create an account and you're a parenting coach. Whereas to call yourself a psychologist, like legally, it requires, you know, at least six years of training, sometimes more. You know, there's like a lot you have, a lot of hoops you're jumping through. And and same with therapists have to go through, who have our master's level have to go through a similar certification process. But calling yourself a coach, anybody can do that. And Instagram, social media is the wild west. There are no rules. 
You can get on Instagram and social media, say whatever you want about parenting and nobody's going to stop you. And the things that are more extreme are going to get more engagement. The things that make parents feel bad are when they're going to feel like, oh, I need to buy this person's course because I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. If you're on social media saying like, you're doing a great job, like nobody's going to buy your course because no, they no. feel great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's and that's the thing that I think that the shame is being compounded because shame motivates you to buy things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And a lot of these influencers, I'm not, I'm not saying they're you know necessarily evil or anything, but they've realized what what works. And so yeah. it is shame. It is extremes um, yeah. to say things like you should never do this. You are damaging your child. Those kinds of dog whistles, those those kinds of warnings are what get people to buy things. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I really respect your account because you don't do those kinds of things. And I, I want more parents to look out for those, mo- those moments when they're experiencing that shame and to think about why this person is trying to cause you shame. Exactly. Exactly. And rem- and remembering that we don't have any research showing that there is only one way to parent. You know, these, um, all these different parenting things that are out there, like gentle parenting, attachment parenting, you know, they, these aren't religious, you know, you don't have to like prescribe to everything they say. You can kind of just take what you want and leave the rest. And, um, you know, it's not as black and white as it appears to be on social media. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's such that's such good advice to to leave with. Before we go, uh, and you've done you've done an amazing job today, by the way, doing an interview with a three month old baby Thank there. You. <laughs> you are you just killing it. Uh, who do you follow on social media? What does your feed look like? Um, well, honestly, I follow all these gentle parenting influencers um, as well because I think it's important to call out when I see something that I think is wrong. I did a post it today about somebody who um, was saying that screen time harms babies' brains, um, which we don't have any evidence for. Um, and the people who I really like are um, people who take a research-backed approach, like Emily Oster, um, of course, is somebody who I love because she takes that research-backed approach. Um, and I try to, you know, although I am following a lot of these gentle parenting influencers, I have to check myself. A lot of times I'll see something and it makes me feel bad. And then I'm like, well, wait, I have to be like, no, 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 we don't have any research for this. A a lot of the things that get me are when people say things that like a child's behavior is a reflection on the parent-child connection. Um, Because I have, well, three at least, maybe four TBD spirited kids who have a lot of big behaviors. And I so just, many, yeah. so many, my friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so easy to feel bad, even if there was no social media, to feel bad about those behaviors. But when accounts are saying things like, you know, your child's misbehavior is a reflection on you as a parent, it makes you feel even worse. So I just think even if you do continue to follow these accounts to just check yourself and remind yourself that we have absolutely no research 
And no psychologist would say that a child's behavior reflects on parent. No. And, you know, I also have I have two spirited kids. Uh, it remains to be seen what the third one's like. So <laughs> she's pretty she's pretty chill. Okay. But I do. But I do. My I will tell you, my most chill friend, and she will say this, too. She is super chill. Her husband's super chill. They're awesome parents. Their kids are insane. <laughs> They're crazy. And it's no reflection on them. Kids are kids. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Well, now, now because you brought it up, I have to ask about the screen time. Is screen time wrecking my kid's brain? Definitely not. So, you know, th- w- again, the research is limited. But what we know is that, you know, sc- screen, we have no evidence that screen time is wrecking your kid's brain. We do know that real life social interaction is probably better for your child's development than screen time. So if mm-hmm. you're in the mental space where you can provide, you know, a high quality interaction for your child over screen time, like that's great. But if you are in the mental space, like you have, or, or you aren't in the mental space where you have other things going on, you need a break. You want to provide screen time for your kids. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we have no evidence that that is going to have a negative impact on your child in the long run. I love that. I love knowing that. Mostly because while I've been hanging out with the baby in the morning, I've been catching up on the new series of Fatal Attraction. And it's been really, <laughs> really good. Really good. It's got Pacey in it from Dawson's Creek. Oh, love uh, that. Right? Yeah, I'm just, you know, really, really, really enjoying that. And I'm playing peekaboo with her. And I'm also binge watching television. So, and if, you know. And if that improves your mental health, then that is what is better for your child. Then it totally turning is. off the screens and making sure they never see a screen for the first year. You need to do. Oh my God, it was so funny. You. I was such a I was such a freak with my first child. I really was. I was like, we all like, were <laughs> because because all because all kids grab the phone all the time, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, don't let him see the light of the phone. Never. Or like we would be watching like a football game or something in a bar, and I'm like, no, turn him away. <laughs> really. Well, that's really? that's actually what I commented on this morning. It was uh, an account showing a hack for if you want to turn on the TV with the baby. And they showed just putting a blanket over the baby's playmat. But we don't have any research that looking at the TV is worse than staring at a white blanket. In fact, I would argue that it's better for your child and their brain development to not have the white blanket and be looking at the TV, but also like looking around the room and seeing your face. And I I would not advise the white blanket. Why don't you smother your baby so they can't see the TV? <laughs> exactly. Throw, exactly. Throw a blanket over their head so they can't see the TV. I know. God it, it's blast. just gotten so extreme. Um and we we have no you know, there's all these accounts saying that TV is overstimulating for babies and young kids. But I would actually argue that it's understimulating because real life interaction is what is stimulating for kids. And where TV just is not as stimulating. And it doesn't mean that it's hurting their brain. It only means that they're probably not learning as much as they would in a real life interaction, which isn't necessarily harmful. No, yeah. no, it's just not as good. Yeah. And when you have when you have the the gas in the tank to do the real life interactions. Also with third baby, I mean that baby is getting so much interaction from the big. Yes, so much. I think that she's probably she's probably happy for some chill time. It's like <laughs> she's like, thank goodness. 
She's like, from the moment I wake up, someone wants to play fucking peekaboo with me and I'm done. Yeah, so true. Done with the peekaboo. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Tell people where they can find you and find all of your wonderful advice. So I am, my website is parentingtranslator.org. I am an, I'm on Instagram, on TikTok as Parenting Translator. And I also have a Substack, which is parentingtranslator.substack.com. That is all I have for you today, friends. That's it. I don't know about you, but I actually feel a lot smarter. I do. I feel really, really good. I feel very equipped to go scroll the Instagram and just unfollow a bunch of accounts that have been spewing, spewing a lot of bullshit research at me. And uh, that feels nice. I feel lighter. And I wasn't kidding. I really have been binge watching The New Fatal Attraction. And it is good. Not like good TV, but good bad TV in the way that I think you just need in December. This is how I want to close out the year. Bad TV on my couch with a lot of cheese. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. Go leave us a review if you like us. The algorithm likes that. Also, you can subscribe to Over the Influence, the Substack, where we will have a whole transcript of this interview and a bunch of bonus content and some, some really fun stuff. Now, go unplug and have a great day. You deserve it.